Events like church camp and vacation Bible school are just a few of the events that we still do where outsiders come to us, and that's why they're so important. We live in a world often hostile to our faith, and most of the time, any faith in general. So so the fact that anyone, even kids and students, actually come to hear our message is and should be pretty encouraging, really. These events are so important because for almost a whole week, these kids and adults get to hear a message specifically catered just to them. They get to hear the good news that the singular thing separating us from God is forgiven by Jesus' sacrifice. Talk to all the kids and adults, all the volunteers who went to camp last week. We studied the same Bible, heard the same talks, worshiped to the same music, and yet even though we're all in different places and stages of life, we were all moved to take the next step of faith. We were taught the gospel and motivated to accept Jesus as our Savior if we hadn't yet done that, or we were motivated to trust that the gospel is enough in a new area of our life. Now, the church worldwide is a lot of different things. Sometimes the church looks like camps, sometimes like hospitals, sometimes like schools, sometimes like social programs, and all those things have great inherent value, but you don't need to be a church to be a camp a social program, a hospital, a school. But when the church does behave as those things, it serves a higher purpose or a greater goal. When the church organizes to be bigger than the individual and works to serve the world, it does so for one purpose, to teach the gospel with the aim to persuade. In Sunday school, you looked at the definition of evangelism, and evangelism is simply that, teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. You saw the importance of evangelism from the perspective of the dignity of every human life, because God has made every man, woman, and child in his image. We are therefore called to teach the gospel to everyone. Now today we're going to look at evangelism from the perspective of God's desired ends. What's the point or the goal of evangelism? Does it really produce any results? And how do we measure that? And what's our hope? evangelism. Well, Scripture tells us that what God wants is a holy people, but he also wants all men to know him. And God has shown Mount Pisgah a lot of grace over the past several years because we've seen so many new people enter our doors, when for every newcomer to Mount Pisgah, there's a church, unfortunately, closing its doors elsewhere. And I believe this to be fully because of God's grace, nothing of our own merits. But I also want to point out to you that the people who make up Mount Pisgah have been faithful to the biblical standards of grace and truth. And these two things, when they're held in the proper tension, can't help but show people who are far from God what God is like. One of the things you notice about an organic and growing church is that there are simply a few things built into the DNA or built into the culture of the church. A few things simply come natural. But the trouble lies in if we don't name them, then we're prone to grow by accident and die by programming or die by planning. We ignore the things that God blessed by bringing other people into the body of Christ. But if we focus and kind of meditate on today's scripture, even for a short period of time, we'll find there are four things that we do naturally as a body of Christ, but we cannot fail to keep doing intentionally. 
And we'll find that these things are simply what the church is supposed to be doing anyway. And by being faithful to these things, God adds to our numbers those who are being saved. So let's take a closer look at Luke 5 today and see what God is saying to us through it. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. Essentially, Jesus saw a platform and made the most of every opportunity. The crowd was pressing on him for what? To hear the word of God. Jesus is standing in a boat, and he wants his disciples to become fishers of men. We've all heard that before. Every fisherman, though, knows that bait will catch a lot more fish than just a hook. And not to overextend the analogy or anything like that, but what is the bait that Jesus uses? In each and every situation, the bait that Christ uses to draw men to himself is and always will be the word of God. We see the world in a complete and total drought of truth. We're thirsty. Thirst is the human condition. And believer or not, we need to hear the word of God. For those who believe, growing our faith simply means recognizing more and more of our need for the gospel in new and broken areas of our life, of our heart and mind. Real Christians stay thirsty. We stay thirsty because we know we haven't arrived yet. We're really no better than any unbeliever, but we have been saved. We stay thirsty because there are areas in our hearts and minds where we haven't allowed the gospel to penetrate yet. Restlessness in the heart and mind of the believer is not because our salvation stands on shaky grounds, we can't be sure of it, and we might lose it because of something we did. But the Christian stays restless and thirsty because the gospel desires to go deeper into us. Like a man who is digging for water, he will go deeper and deeper and as deep as he needs to until he reaches what he's looking for. For the unbeliever, the word of God saves. In Romans chapter 10, 17, Paul says, Faith comes by hearing, and that message is the word about Christ. Plain and simple. In the same chapter of Romans, Paul asks the question, How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And that's the role of the church in a nutshell. The role of the church toward the unbeliever is to teach and to preach to them about the word of Christ. Paul notes in 1 Corinthians 5.12 that we don't judge those on the outside, we only judge those on the inside. We only discipline those on the inside of the church. So this might look like answering questions with friends over dinner or coffee, reading the Bible with them, inviting them to a worship service. Believers are people who are thirsty like the rest of the world, but we've been given the living water. We found it. So we bring others to the place where we found it. The word of God is about, about Christ is the bait for drawing people in because we're all thirsty for the same thing. And our job is to present the message in a way that claims a person's heart and mind. Every day at church camp, both students and adults got session after session of God's Word. In the morning, we looked at different Bible stories. The kids even went pretty deep. They talked about evolution and where do we come from and where does the church stand on certain issues about evolution. You know, what do we b believe? We went pretty deep with them. And the adults got to meet to see how the Bible addresses the most pressing questions of our day. 
like the sanctity and dignity of human life at every stage and age of life. We talked about the authority of Scripture and why it has authority, where do we get that notion from, and what is authority just in general. We went deep with what the Bible has to say. Every night, we all heard about how the Word of God moves into every area of our life, how Christ wants to change our minds and our hearts when it comes to our relationships, our level and commitment to our faith, our behavior. The Bible was taught over and over and over again. And there's no manipulation going on because the scriptures are presented, and then at the end of the week, a time is given for a response to that truth, plain and simple, because we're all called to respond to the truth. Every year, sometimes dozens of kids respond to the Spirit working in their life through the truth of God's Word they've been taught all week. So why is it so important to present an almost overwhelming amount of Scripture in less than a week? Simple. We live in a culture where a biblically-centered knowledge of God's nature is confused and pluralized with so many other thoughts. What's the nature of sin? What's the point of what happened on the cross? These and so many other questions, for one, aren't even being asked. And when they are, they're typically done without much reference to God's revelation in Scripture. So there is a need for much teaching, grace, and truth. Because without much teaching, there are all kinds of questionable responses to the same gospel. We need to present the full counsel of God, the full measure of His grace and truth, so you can imagine why we love being able and jump at the chance to take kids away for a week like camp and do the most loving thing we can do for them and give them God's word his revelation of himself. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they'd done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats. So that they began to sink. So we see it's one thing to teach people the word of God. It's another thing to obey ourselves. Simon Peter could have taught thousands upon thousands of people the importance and the eternal significance of lowering your nets just like Jesus taught. But if he never did it himself, the church wouldn't have grown to where it is now. We also see in this passage the natural response of many believers, myself included, often to the obedience that Jesus requires. We've worked all night and we're tired. We haven't had any luck. We're up till 3 a.m. dealing with kids. We're tired. We're cranky. Maybe we'll do it in the morning. We come up with some pretty valid excuses, right? But it should encourage us, even though we do have half-hearted obedience most of the time, that with, in the case of Peter's excuse, Jesus still chose not to toss him overboard. He kept him in the boat. His obedience was half-hearted, like mine so often is, but Jesus performs this miracle in spite of the level of his disciples' obedience. If you talk to any of the adults, the camp counselors, game leaders, uh, food preparers, on Wednesday or Thursday of camp, day four and five, they're tired. That's the only word for what they are. Some of them haven't been Christians very long, so they don't feel equipped, or they're dealing with kids who just wet the bed and didn't tell anybody, and now they have kids asking questions about being baptized. The list goes on and on for why they shouldn't take time to obediently pour into these kids, 
and no one in this room would fault them for it, and yet they do each and every time. Counselors, every time you couldn't remember what you just said because you were so tired, Jesus worked through you. Every time you gave the best, most intelligent, Christ-centered answer you knew how to give, Jesus worked through you. Every time you stayed up 30 extra minutes to change that kid's sheets and talk about the next step of faith, Jesus worked through you. Obedience is never wasted. Even half-hearted obedience is never wasted. You are tired, and rightfully so, but Christ never wearies. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When we teach and when we obey, we can't help but be humbled by what Jesus is capable of doing and what he promises to do. After a week away with these kids, you experience that very same thing. The last morning, there is time for people to come forward and give their testimony of what happened that week if they, if they want to. No compulsion, but if, if you want to, you're invited to come forward. Simply honor Christ with your words. You know, what, what did he do for you this week? How did he change your mind about something? How did he affect one of your friend's lives? Uh, just a time to witness just how humble we should be because of what Christ can do. And a good number of people, both kids and adults alike, came forward Friday morning to say what Christ had done for them, that he'd saved them. How wonderful. And some came forward to mention how the teaching had turned a light on in a particular area of their heart and mind, and now they wanted Christ to lead them in that area. Some simply gave thanks for a time away in a Christ-centered environment where they could rest their spirit for a week and then return to life refreshed. The Christian life in general should be marked by humility. We cannot save ourselves, and in our weakness, Jesus steps down and picks us up. We owe our saving not to ourselves, but solely to God. And true spiritual rejuvenation starts with being humbled before God, the God who doesn't want his children staying in the state he lovingly found them in. Humility has the potential, though, to retain the fear that Peter demonstrated here with Jesus. He recognized the sin for what it is, and that was a gift in itself. He was painfully honest with himself about his sin, and Jesus saw fear in him. But he told Peter, do not fear. Because in true Christian humility, when we daily remind ourselves that Christ makes us fishers of men, we don't make ourselves that, and that he is beside us, there's no room for fear of what could happen, because ultimately it's the Spirit working through us. It's nothing in our power. But when they brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. When you leave what you have and everything you know, you do so because... You recognize the superiority of what you could be following. Following Christ is simply treasuring him above all others, pure and simple. Of course we obey. Of course we're humbled. And they have value. Of course we teach. But they are mere idols if they're rooted not in treasuring Christ above all. So when you cast your net, teach others who Christ is. Show them that you believe what you're saying by your obedience. Humble yourself by recognizing that you are still thirsty for more of him. And more than anything, treasure Christ for what he is.
your Lord and Savior. What is God's desired end to evangelism? The answer to that question is to treasure Christ above all. We teach with the aim to persuade to that end. And those of you who gave up almost 144 hours last week teaching, counseling, playing games, leading devotions, praying with them, job well done. It's over. We made it one more year. The same goes for anyone who has ever served at camp or who ever will serve at camp. And now for those kids who got to take in so much of God's word last week, what will you do with it? Now it's time for you to go back into your schools, to your homes, to your jobs, and to lower your nets and be fishers of men. So may we all bring our boat to shore, leave everything, and follow him. Let's pray. Our dear Father in heaven, we ask that you help us to be equipped to be fishers of men. Give us what we need to lower our nets and follow you. Give us the courage and the wisdom to do that this week as we go out into our mundane daily lives. That we know we're not just the average people, but because we have found and been given the living water, the gift of the living water, that we can show others where to find it. And it's only found in you and your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray. Amen.